grab your popcorn and snacks, find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Hey, how's everybody? I forgot my light. I am so over today. As you guys look at that, as you guys saw by the intro, I don't know what was going on. It never stops like that. It did this time. I am so over today. I was probably the videos and stuff ready for you know the the photo videos ready to go, and everything was stopping and starting. It's been like this all day. I'm so over. I'll be glad today's over. Anyway, my name is Charlotte. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We're 45 strong up and down the state, which means we can get to you. might take us a couple days. California's a big state, but we can get to you. And if, in the time, if it, if it takes us a couple days to get to you, we have psychics on staff who can call you and talk with you about what may or may, may not be going on. And they can, in most cases, settle things down until we can get out there. But it never takes more than one or two days. Okay, that being said, if you're watching from Facebook today, and a lot of you are, please be sure to hit that follow button if you haven't done so already. i uh, always looking for followers and build up my, my following. Also, if you are watching from Facebook and uh, you comment or you leave me a, show me some love and leave me some thumbs up and stuff, that would be great too because what that does is it puts us up higher, that, F, that, that, that computerized FYP, and it puts us out to more people. Okay, all right? So that would be a huge help to me. Also, please share this. If you know, if you like what you're hearing today, please, please, please share this with others because we're trying. We're just trying to get the word out about the show. Okay, thank you, thank you, whoever did that. Thank you. Okay, if you're watching from YouTube, same thing. Uh, the FYP works the same. And uh, just show me some love, some thumbs up and stuff, and chat in the chat room, and th that'll put us up higher in the FYP and YouTube distributes everywhere, right? Also, if you haven't done so already, YouTube, please subscribe. Uh, we're getting real close to that thousand subscriber mark i'm getting really excited here hoping to reach that goal by christmas that'd be a great christmas present and there's 780 videos at youtube 700 it's all this show every topic you can think of paranormal ufos whatever it's all over there and topics like what we're going to have on tonight okay so uh if you want to check that out i have them in categories so they're easier to find all right again if you have people in the house or you know people that might be interested in this show Go ahead and share me, share me. You know, even if you don't watch me, you know, you can put me in your pocket, right? I have people that clean their house and do things like that, and they walk around their house with me. That's cool. I don't mind. All right? Okay. Tonight's guest is it's a near and dear thing to my heart. Um, as a working journalist, uh, my first big beat was the crime beat. And I saw a lot of domestic violence cases, one in which a woman actually killed her, you know, took a shotgun, stood over her husband and shot him. And, you know, she obviously did time. But, you know, I, I've handled, uh, as far as paper writing and newspaper writing, domestic violence cases. And as you guys know, I am, I am a journalist. That's my real job outside of this. And I still have that journalism thing going on. And tonight is a journal, we'll call it journalism night, because I heard this woman, I heard my guest's story, and it touched me so much. And, 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 and she's in... She's to be admired for what she did and, and how she survived. All right. So I'm going to bring her in. My guest is Monique Feiston Ross. And I'm going to let her tell you the story because it's better coming from her than me. But here we go. Hi there. Thank you so much um, for having me on. I appreciate it. It's a tough story to, to hear. Um, so it really started when um, I found out I was pregnant. I had started college and I grew up in a single okay. parent. Are you there? Yeah. Okay. Uh, there we go. Oh, see, it's not everything that could go wrong today did and it's still going. Uh -oh. There we go. And that has to be smaller. Okay. All right. We're back. Go ahead. I'm so sorry. That's okay. Did the beginning go through? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. I apologize so, for that. No, that's okay. It's, it's a Murphy's Law kind of day. Okay. 
That's what it happens. Yes. All um, right. So basically, um, when I started college, I uh, found out shortly thereafter um, that I was pregnant and growing up in a single parent household. Uh-huh. I, I know better now today, but back then, I really wanted when I decided to um, keep the child and I believe in a woman's right to choose, but that was my choice. Uh-huh. Uh, and I thought I could do everything. I could still go on to college, become the doctor I wanted, have a have a baby and be the type of parent I wanted. Um, and from there, but my big, I will tell you from the very beginning, the biggest mistake that I made is believing that children need a two-parent household, even when it's dysfunctional, it's toxic, it's hostile. We dated, he and I, who be, um, the person I name in the book, I call mm-hmm. him Chris, that's not his real name. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't protect him from using his real name. I could care less. It's more about not trying to, you know, poke the bear, um, you know, startle the lion, whatever term. Right, right, right. But nevertheless, I um, we went on, we got married. I wanted a two parent household and he thought that we would be fine. And from the beginning, from high school, when we were dating, we never got along. We were oil and water from the very beginning. Fast forward um, on to we had our second child four years later and still committed to the marriage and um, the family. And um, things really never changed for us. Things got more toxic, more hostile. I think I learned to check them. And one of the biggest mistakes when you brought up, Charlotte, is that domestic violence um, that you know of cases and and um, covered them in journalism is that I think that a lot of people like myself believe that we know what domestic violence is. Uh-huh. You know, it's broken bones, it's black eyes, it's um, men or women because men are impacted too, not at the numbers that uh-huh. women are. But we think that we know what it looks like. We all think that we understand. And we don't. That's what I learned is that I was very ignorant myself about what domestic violence looks like. So um, I think one of the big lessons, fast forward, three beautiful children, um, 12 years later, and I finally got to the end of my rope. We moved overseas, which I loved as a side note, lived in Japan. We moved back to the States and um the signs were there. There were red flags that were there, but I just didn't see them because I didn't know, uh-huh. you know, him popping up in the doorway once um, when I was talking to a friend and he had listened, following me um, during a separation. And I, you know, I, I assumed that that was just somebody who didn't have a good command of his faculties that he would get over it, but the signs were there in little ways and I just dismissed them all. So we didn't have a violent marriage. We had a toxic and hostile one for almost 12 years. The final straw was um, an argument we had in Florida over bills and his, um, commanding officer, he was in the military, was called about a bill that was late. And he threw me on the ground. This is 12 years later, threw me on the ground and um, started to strangle me. And I'm the type of person that I know when I should not, you know, have some smart remark or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I, I just got up when he let me go. And I decided at that moment, that I wasn't going to say anything to him, that I was leaving. I was leaving with our three children. I now have four children, but um, leaving with our three children. And as soon as I had the money, money was always very tight for us. Neither of us finished our educations, you know, trying to raise the kids. And um, so, and I did. And later on, maybe a week or so, I don't remember exactly when I told him, but I said, you know, when we file our taxes, I'm filing separately and I'm taking the money and I'm leaving 
with the kids. And he seemed to take it okay. That should have been the red flag number 50, you uh-huh. know, that seemed to, to accept it. And even when the time came, fast forward, there's many things that happen um, in between, which I talk about in the book uh-huh. um, and explain in the book. But he even helped me like move into my apartment and wanted to, um, you know, help me get settled. I didn't have any furniture. All I cared about was having peace, closing that door with my three children and having peace in my life. I didn't care if I had anywhere to sleep as long as they did. Uh And I remember distinctly closing that door behind me when he offered to help me get settled. And I said, no, thanks. You know, I appreciate the help of moving the kids' furniture and boxes and things, but I I didn't need his help unpacking. And it was the best feeling leaning against that door, feeling like, oh, just peace. I just wanted some peace. Uh Um, Time went on. He made promises about money. So let's talk about what the red flags are, what the experts know that I didn't know. Okay. At this point, it's strangulation. That's a number one sign that something lethal is coming next. Um, Financial abuse. So promises after promises that he was going to help financially never materialized. Nothing ever. He never helped. And now I realize in retrospect that that was just to drive me back to Mm -hmm. him to be in a bad situation. And I got in some really terrible financial situations because of the promises that never materialized. Mm -hmm. So moving along, we'd even discuss people he was dating. And I thought, oh, this is great. We're going to have, he realizes that we're bad together. We're going to have a healthier um, relationship with our children apart. I thought, well, maybe he realizes he, you know, this will be good. We'll get divorced. It should be straightforward. We'll co-parent and we'll be better off. Not realizing that that was all part of the plan, but I didn't care. I just assumed, great, he's moving on. This is a good thing. Six months later, um, I went on a date with someone that I met at work. And this was the only time in six months he had kept the kids all together. In six months of separation, he had never kept all three kids at one time. That too was by design so that I wouldn't have any free time or what he perceived as free time. Sure. And um, he asked me how the night went before. I told him I went on the state, you know, with the guy because... Why wouldn't I? And it was that moment, that second, that conversation that altered the direction of mine, my life and that of my three children. That day, by that evening, that was in the morning, by that evening, he was stalking me. He figured out who it was, came to the hospital we were working at, confronted the guy. When I tell you it spiraled for the next three months of 24 hours stalking. He couldn't have slept during that time. He then hired a private attorney to take the kids, try and take the kids to get full custody. His parents lost every dime they had. They emptied their um, retirement funds, everything. We had to get restraining orders immediately, like not immediately, I'd say in about two weeks, because I kept thinking, this is someone who I'd been married to, I wanted a divorce, I had separated, I planned to get divorced. I didn't love him anymore, but I just kept thinking in my head that he was going to get it together. He was going to get it together. He was going to stop this stalking. Mm -hmm. Like we didn't grow up running from the police. This is not what we did. No one in our family did. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, kept assuming that he was going to stop this craziness. We were in and out of court um, for the stalking. He would appear in court well-dressed, well-spoken, 
private attorney and always answer respectfully, yes, your honor, no, your honor, and leave the court and pick up where he left off. While fighting me for full custody, claiming I was unfit, you name it, it it was horrible. Um, So Oh, boy. About um, never appeared. He had a very aggressive um, attorney. He chose someone who that attorney had a client the year before who shot and killed either the wife or the, the child. So that attorney seems to attract those types of people. Uh-huh. Um So moving on, three months, we were in and out of court. Um, His parents finally, we both grew up in San Diego, and his parents finally, um, the stakes got so high for bail every time he was arrested and um, released. The stakes got so high that his parents finally had to put up their San Diego house for bond. Um, I would really hesitate, by the way, anybody listening to ever do that, especially if it's a child and especially if they might not be telling you the truth. But his parents believed him and I don't blame them. I think I'd believe my own child if it were me. Uh Um, So after three months of 24 hours a day stalking, um, he kidnapped me armed kidnapping in front of my two youngest children. He had convinced our oldest child to stay with him. He had worked on her. She was the teenager in the group to um, stay with him for the two weeks prior. And he let her stay home from school. So he knew this was all well-planned out and um, took me, um, snatched me, took me away convinced me that he was going to let me go. All I wanted to do was get the kids. I just wanted to go back to the kids. I was trying to, you know, convince him to turn himself in and not be shot by the police and just let me go to the kids. And he convinced me that all he wanted to do was talk, um, talk to me and ask me questions. And, you know, I know that when people read the book and ask me sometimes, you know, how could you think that? How did you not see it coming? How did you believe him? You have to think for a moment that this is someone that I had three children with, I was married to. And even though we had many countless issues within our marriage, I never for a moment until the last second thought my life was truly in danger. He scared me, startled me during stalking. I called the police, you know, all of that. Uh But to take that leap was something that was unimaginable to me. So um, during the hours, he had me convinced that he was going to let me go and talk um, and, and be with the kids. That was never the intent. So that's another red flag that, you know, during the stalking, when the police came and I averaged during those three months, I averaged 10, nine, one run one phone calls a week on, you know, seeing him, he'd follow me to the store, follow me to work. He had me fired during that stalking period because of course he he had, he, I don't know what the conversation was between he and my manager, but he convinced her that whoever was around me at work was in danger and she let me go. And she said, Monique, you know, as soon as this is all over, we'll hire you right back, Mm -hmm. but we just can't take the risk for the other employees, which I understood in reality, but I needed to be able to feed myself and my children keep Mm -hmm. a roof over our heads. And I'm sure that was all part of it. Part Mm -hmm. of his, you know, trying to take the kids from me, say I was unfit. Um, I couldn't support myself or the kids because Mm -hmm. he made sure that that wasn't the case. It was just, you know, there were so many layers, so many things when you're out of it, 
and miraculously survive, then you look back and things are so clear, so crystal clear. So do you want me to keep going? Absolutely. It's a, okay. Your story is just, I admire you. Your story is incredible. You know, um, it's a fun one. So, um, uh, so it was probably about six hours. And during this time, there's an APB, you know, the police are looking. And when he first took me, um, I kept thinking, I'm, we're going to hear sirens because my car had trouble and we didn't get very far. I kept thinking the police are going to storm and rescue me at any moment. That never happened. Hours are passing and it's still never, It. There, I don't see anyone. We're alone. Um, in this area of houses that were being built. And um, he keeps saying, you know, there's a couple times he forces himself on me. I don't, I, I don't understand what the point of that was. We had never had that problem or he had never done that in our marriage, but no means no. And um, yeah, so I, I still don't understand what the point of that was what he was trying to do or accomplish, or I'm just not sure. Um, but after about six or so hours, I said, you know, are you ready? I'll go with you. You can turn yourself in. I'll wait till the police come to get you. And, um, you know, I can go to the kids. And he said, sure, just as calm as you and I are talking right now. And he said, let's just, you know, look in this house over here. So I, so in my head, now my red flags are beginning to start to kind of, you know, the back of the hairs on the back of my neck are starting to tingle. And I um, said, okay, but I'm hesitant now. I'm thinking, well, is he reminiscing about when we were going to buy a house? Why does he want to go see that house? He had been in the house earlier saying he was trying to get help. He was never trying to get help. He was trying to see what he could kill me with. And um, the house had just been built and landscaped. And it was a, like in Florida, you know, there's so many new houses being built. So it was another um, new you know, neighborhood being built. I forgot oh. what they're called right this second, but um, subdivision was being built. And so I walk in the house, but I keep my distance from him because now I'm starting to think, okay, what's going on here? And I kept my distance from him and he said, you can get out over here. And he opened the garage and I saw the light and I thought, okay, but I kept my distance still. And um, I walked into the garage and the, the house was empty. So it might've been sold, but it was empty. It was fully built and fully landscaped, but it was empty. Nobody moved in yet, or there was nothing in there. So I walk into the garage and he, because it had been landscaped, there were full, tall um, tools, you know, shovel pick you know all the things you need for landscaping um and doing landscape in a yard and he moved the the shovel out of the group and i said what did you do that for and um he said oh i was just seeing what they had and at that moment i turned to run and it was too late okay. and um you know, that first blow to my head, I will never forget. And this happened in 1997. And it's like it happened yesterday. So, um, you know, I won't talk about all the gory details. Right, 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 right. You guys probably cover gory details on the show. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, he carries me over where uh, people won't find me and checks my pulse says out loud can you hear me then says you're not dead yet and um continues beating me in the head um wow and uh like i was a perfect stranger mm -hmm. and you know the 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 biggest thing i will never forget for all of my life is that i would have never hurt him I just wanted a divorce. People do it every day. 
Mm-hmm. I don't understand. There's so many other people. And he was at the end before he kidnapped me dating someone, a lovely woman who thought they were get married and, you know, sociopaths are very effective mm-hmm. at uh, getting people to think that they're something exceptional and they're not. Uh, so um, the rest of the story goes, I, he left me for dead and I almost did die. And, um, and, you know, with multiple broken bones, I got myself rescued. There was an angel um, who rescued me. So, um, yeah, that is the story. When you talk about being married to him for so long and having kids, how did he treat the kids? There were, you know, I can say that he loved the kids. Was his parenting effective and was it healthy? No, I think he was a product of how he was raised. Uh Um, He was you know, cruel at times, like, um, you know, our oldest daughter started lying about things probably to avoid or, you know, discipline and also, um, also to avoid him, his wrath. And he had a short temper, short fuse. And I always attributed it to, you know, we're young, he has a hot temper, he's, you know, a jerk, but um, he loved the kids, but he also was extremely controlling, controlling of their every move, controlling of, um, and I, you know, I would consider myself protective. So I guess, you know, people may say, well, there's protective and then there's, you know, controlling. There is a difference. And, um, you know, our dog, he was so hard on our dog. We had a beautiful black lab and, um, uh, he was, you know, borderline abusive. So, you know, but I, I know that he loved them certainly in his own way, but not enough to keep their mother alive. So when you talk about when you were first dating him, you know, and, hanging out with him more and more. Did you see any signs of his temper? Did you see anything like that? I did, but you know, I think I just dismissed it. I'm the type of person, I'm no wilting flower. And Uh so I, I think I just dismissed it. I tend to have still today a habit of thinking I can handle everything Uh that I'm always in control. And, and that's just not the case. We're not in control of other people. You know, people that we went to high school with have said that, Monique, everybody could see the signs except for you. And I think oftentimes when you're in it, it's very hard to see. You can't because you wouldn't take someone else's life. I wouldn't take someone else's life. It's hard to make that leap to think that someone else would. And there are people who would and do. You know, we all see it on the news every day. And there's also that love blind thing that goes on too. I mean, once you fall for somebody, it, it, you know, that, that whole halo comes on and you don't see the bad habits. Yeah. I don't, you know, and I think we tend to dismiss behaviors. Mm-hmm. You know, we tend to think he did other things that were um, so egregious and alarming that I remember I had a friend and I know that this story is in the book that I had a friend who was in our neighborhood and her husband was so alarmed by his behavior that he told his wife who they had a new baby. He said, I don't want you guys over there. That man is not okay. It's not safe. And he was right. And he saw that behavior, you know, taking, taking, um, the wheels and the brakes off my car is not normal. No, 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 it's not. So I, like, like I said, you, you, you married him. Right. And like in the book, did, did, did this stuff start right away or, or was it a gradual buildup where he really started to get possessive and all that started happening? I think it was a gradual buildup. I think he never fully had control over me and that's uh-huh. what he was trying to attain Mm -hmm. Um, with three kids, I was busy, 
you know, we were both working and trying to keep a roof over our heads and food, you know, feeding the kids. And then there was activities. And, you know, I don't think that he, with the separation, when we lived together, he mm-hmm. felt that he, he had control. He never had control. Um, certainly not over me. But I think in his separation, he had, he must have felt like he was losing control or would lose control. And um, I'm not a mental health expert. I, you know, I've never understood his actions. I just can't grasp it. Well, I knew a couple years ago that uh, there was abuse going on, mostly verbal, but uh, he would take her shopping Mm -hmm. and he knew exactly how long it would take her to get the groceries. And he would sit out in the car waiting for her. Oh, wow. Yeah. And if she ran late, he would go running in and then he would start a scene at the store. Wow. Yeah. You know, yeah. so that goes on, that goes on too in, in relationships like yours. Was yeah. there stuff, was there stuff like that? He, I mean, like you say, he was following you to different places. So when you would go places, did he have it timed out like that? You know, knowing how long it would take you to do this and do that? He didn't start any of that type of stuff except Uh showing up in the, in the doorway when I thought he was at work, listening Uh to my conversation with my friend that startled me. Uh Um, He also made a passing comment about, um, you know, I don't remember exactly what the argument was about, but it was something like his retort was, um, well, don't forget OJ got away with it. And I, yeah. And, you know, I have to say I had a physical, like, I felt like the wind was knocked out of me when he said that. And I believe, you know, our deceased loved ones or our guardian angels or Mm -hmm. someone was telling me he means that he means Mm -hmm. it 100%. And I, um, I responded right away. OJ had money and you don't. But it still impacted me. I blew it off. I tried to make him think that I blew it off. But Mm -hmm. I, it was a red flag that I didn't pay attention to. It was an odd thing. I remember discussing it with my friend saying, this is what he said. Um, But, and it bothered me. But after that, shortly thereafter, we were separated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I was just thinking about this too. As a young wife going through this stuff, did were you able to talk to his family about it or no or, or or was that off limits? You know, I didn't bring up a lot of the issues we had. I mm-hmm. did ask his mom though. I remember saying to her, you know, would you just talk to him and listen to him? He seems to have a lot of anger directed at you. His parents had a very dysfunctional marriage. They were legally divorced within the 12 years we were married. They were legally divorced and separated two times fully sold houses, lived apart, you know, all the whole thing. And I remembered asking her and I remembered her saying, nope, it's too painful. So, you know, and I believe that parents make mistakes and we have to listen to our kids without excuses, fully listen, genuinely accept, Mm -hmm. you know, what they have to say about whatever it was. And she just refused. And she did die. Um, She died a year after everything happened. They lost their house that was attached to his bond when he kidnapped Mm me, when he you know, went to prison and was shot by the police. Um, I, you know, she was not the healthiest person, but she still was in her early Uh uh fifties. We know a lot of unhealthy people in their fifties who don't drop dead, you know, from a massive heart attack. And she was at work and got Uh help immediately and still died. So. What about his job? Did you, did you talk to anybody that that he was working with to see how he was at work? Yeah. Um, in the military, you know, the military, we were taught the military owns you when you're in the Mm -hmm. military, no matter what line of service, that's the way that it is. And, um, he was convincing while the police and everyone else 
was trying to convince his commanding officer that he was stalking full-time because he wasn't working. He couldn't have been working. Um, He was stalking me full-time for three solid months. At the same time, he was convincing his commanding officer that it was me, that I was the one stalking him, that I was the one doing all the things that he was actually doing. The commanding officer requested that um, one of the therapists or psychiatrists or psychologists interview us both and figure out who was telling the truth. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember the woman, I don't remember her name, but I remember the interview. She met with him first. And um, when I got there, she said, after I finished telling her how he was talking and the things he was saying and convincing everyone that I was the one chasing him and all of these things, she was stunned. She said, I've never met anyone as good and as convincing as he is. She said, Monique, when you walked through the door, I was prepared. I thought for sure you were the one. And she said, now I realize that that's just how good he is. Wow. But that's a sociopathic trait, though. I mean, they can act like they're perfectly normal and on an even level. And then, boom. Yeah. And they convince everyone that it's someone else. It's someone else's Mm -hmm. fault. They're just the victim here. Yep. Very charming. Turn it on. Yeah. So what, what... Let's just talk about a typical evening for you guys. What, what, what was it like? Just, uh, just a normal evening. Wow, that's a good question. Um, you know, with three kids in the house and homework and meals and um, our oldest was swimming and um, there was so much going on, um, bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah study, and there was just a lot of activities and we were busy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just remember that everything caused an argument, everything, the most simplistic things in life caused an argument. I could say the sky was green. He would say it was purple and it would turn into an argument. We just had the worst marriage um, and household. I just, I really tried to avoid a lot of interaction with him you know, if there was a lot of schoolwork or our oldest was struggling because we had, we started in San Diego, then we had moved to Japan and then we had moved back um, to the States and were living in Florida when all of this was happening. So there was a lot of inconsistency to her education, unlike um, her siblings, then I would try and hide, you know, if she was struggling in a subject from her because his reaction was so extreme. So, you know, it's not only a marriage of trying to, you know, keep things as normal for the kids, if that makes any sense, but also trying to stay one to two steps ahead of his reactions, trying to avoid his reactions, trying to avoid any accidents by the dog. It's just, you're constantly doing a dance. Uh 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 Uh, I've just had a thought too, with him being in prison, does he want to see the kids at all? Is he requesting this to your kids? Um, well, the good thing is by the time he got out, they were all adults. Okay. And okay. that was the goal of the prosecutor was to have them to get into adulthood. He wrote the kids while he was in prison. Um, and I they always knew that the letters were available. Uh, a therapist screened them for appropriateness and then uh-huh. would send them on. He never admitted once what he had done in kidnapping me, leaving me for dead, any of that, never admitted that. Um, and so, uh, you know, he may, but I've never pressured the kids. They've always asserted that they don't want anything to do with him. You know, I don't know if that will ever change. It's entirely up to them. I'm sure he feels that it's my fault that I'm, I helped them make the decision, but that's not true. The documents I used um, in writing the book made, it really helped me. That was never my goal was to write a book. Uh 
what I ended up keeping the documents for when the prosecutors built their case against him was I kept it in case the kids ever had a question. Did this really happen? Um, where's the proof that it happened? Because after all, it's their father. And I worry for them that, you know, it's it's this shadow that they never get rid of, that they have this, um, you know, kind of humiliating incident that happened to them growing up. And I just always wanted them to live in a regular environment, have a regular family. And we've never been anything but that. I mean, we've never been that. We never accomplished just a regular family. So, um, but we are a loving one and we're close to each other, but we just never had regular things that happened to us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you said at the time that, he attacked you that that he already had a, another woman in his life yeah Where did, uh, you know when all this started and went down what was did she disappear what was her attitude about everything oh my gosh that poor woman um i doubt they ever spoke again because the night before i was kidnapped mm -hmm. he led the police in a high speed chase and because it was drizzly and rainy um the police called off the chase because it's not safe for other people around or anyone. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember them knocking on my door and asking me, they were out of breath because they must've been chasing him where he might've gone. Mm -hmm. And I, I had no idea. Remember we had been separated for nine months at this point in the last three months, he'd been stalking me full time, but I did have the address of his girlfriend um, and I gave them that they must've gone to her and, um, she left, she had a child, she took her child and went to her parents. She was terrified. And, um, I did talk to her, I think once after everything had happened, I just needed to know, like, what did she see? What did she experience? I just had questions and um, she said she thought that he was awfully possessive, but she never knew it was of me. She thought it was of the kids. And um, she just had no idea that all this was going on. And she was completely broadsided. So. Thinking back on, on all this, I mean, like you talk about, the, there were signs. There were signs. Yeah. But being, but being a young wife and all that, I, I can understand that. Because yeah. we all go in, I'm not saying naive, but we all go in with, 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 with you know, rose tinted glasses into relationships and whatnot. Thinking back, what was the biggest uh, sign that, that something was, was dreadfully wrong with this relationship? I would say um, he was always suspicious. I remember when he was, um, I think he was on, the ship, his ship had been dry docked. He was in the Navy. So his ship had been dry docked for several years. And when he started going out to sea, I remember there were a couple incidences. One, he, he all the short fuse, he had a very short fuse, but there are people who have short fuses and just because they're a jerk or have a short fuse doesn't make them a murderer. Uh -huh. So I struggle with that, you know, red flag. I would say, though, the biggest red flag is always jealousy and possessiveness because that was years into it. And um, I remember him saying, I mean, his dad calling me. I had just had dinner with the kids at his parents. This must have been before Japan. And um he had been calling, calling, calling his, his parents and his dad finally picked up and said, I can't find Monique. I don't know where she is, you know, and he, and his dad said, what's wrong? Like they just left here. She just left with the kids. She's on her way back home. She'll be there shortly. They were here having dinner or, you know, whatever the kids were visiting with his parents who were fantastic um, grandparents and his sister was wonderful aunt. That is the biggest loss as a side note. Um, you know, the kids could have really used them in their lives all these years, but 
you know, he's so controlling. He would control them from prison, you know, and I, we just couldn't have that. So, um, uh, I think that that probably should have alarmed me. He wasn't worried about my safety or the kid's safety. He was worried about where was I? And so his dad called and said, did you talk to him? He was calling, wondering where you were. And I explained you were here, but I guess that should have been the beginning of a red flag. Uh And, you know, people that are possessive can be dangerous. Uh I guess that would have been the first, you know, that I can think of. Sure. Sure. Now, once he went to prison, he was convicted. Was he still trying to contact you afterwards or? Did that all stop finally? Oh, no. I haven't a lot. I'm telling you, the internet is not, this has not been a good day for me. So let me see. And um, it stopped our divorce from moving forward. It stopped Uh his, his criminal activities took precedence over our divorce and everything else. And, um, once we got the divorce, I got a permanent injunction for lifetime. So no matter where I live, what state I live in, he cannot contact me directly or through mm-hmm. a third party ever. And if he does, he can go immediately back to, to prison. Matter of fact, um, my divorce attorney became a um, judge in Florida. And um, the prosecutor is in private practice. And both of them, if I call and I've talked to them over the years, occasionally they pick up right away or call me right back. I think that he's in contact with me, um, but he wisely knows better mm-hmm. because I wouldn't hesitate. I wouldn't lose a bit of sleep and mm-hmm. send him right back. Absolutely. And your kids growing up, um, obviously, do they have to have therapy and stuff like that? You know, just to grow up and wrap their heads around what had happened? Yeah. um, The community, we were very active in the Jewish community in Florida, and they engulfed us immediately before I even was released to the from the hospital with therapists right away. But that was in anticipation for what they thought would be a trial. Uh And um, after that, I moved the kids to another state and where, you know, good schools, um, good community support. And I think that that might have been a mistake. Maybe my PTSD therapist talked to me about it and she feels like it was the right way to handle things mm-hmm. is I just wanted them to be regular kids in a new school district and just kind of fit in, establish their lives. And they didn't work on therapy until they became adults. And so we all have, although they're well-educated, good citizens in the world, kind people, um, I enjoy their company, like they're really good adults and great to be around and are successful in their lives. Um, They all, by the way, have waited to get married until well over 30, (laughs) which I think is very good. Um, But uh, there's only one married right now. So the oldest, um, but I feel like, and they've all gone to therapy to deal with the seriousness of this situation, um, in, uh, in their adulthood. Interesting. What about you? I, once he was put into prison, how did your life change and how, and your mental state and everything? That's a good question too. Um, you know, Trauma never, ever leaves someone. I um, I have PTSD in ways that people can't even imagine the things that I imagine in my head happening. Um, and I've never been the same. I didn't get serious therapy until he was about to get out about two years prior. I saw a specialist in PTSD and trauma um, she helped a lot of 9-11 folks who, who survived 9-11, who either witnessed it or were traumatized by it or there or impacted. And um, so she helped me and I can still call her today. I'm no longer in the state, but um, 
she helped me a lot. And then just regular therapy. I started EMDR. I don't know if you're familiar, um, but before I, I um, moved and I need to start it again. You know, it's just hard. It is hard to dig it up all the time, but it's never left either. If that makes sense. It never right, leaves right. me. But on the other hand, I also um, don't, you know, it's hard to just take it on. You know, mm-hmm. I like to enjoy my grandchildren and I'm working every day and I, you know, there's other things going on. I, I try not to live in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you find yourself checking over your shoulder and stuff like that? Oh, absolutely. All the time. I, that will never leave me either. For example, um, if someone is, if I'm on the sidewalk and I was in Washington, D.C., I volunteer on a board um, in D.C. and I'm there a lot and walking along. If someone is getting too close to me, I turn and let them pass. I can't stand to have someone too close to me or or who's, you know, kind of um, gaining on me. Although I, you know, when I'm in New York walking around, I, there's something about crowds moving that doesn't seem to bother me. But in my head, I think, you know, somebody could come up and just shoot me dead or stab me and no one would see a thing. And I, you know, the things that come in my head, uh, you would never want to live a day in my head. Uh-huh. It's terrible, but I notice the cars around me. If someone seems to be following too long, I I don't, neither the kids nor I answer the door if we're not expecting someone. Uh We don't like people. You know, we're not that neighborly. Don't show up at the door unannounced. We need to know if someone's coming and the kids are the same way. Now, do you know, you probably don't because you haven't been in contact with him, but do you know if he ever remarried? I don't know. I don't, you know, that also occurs to me that something could happen to the next wife or, and the police are going to show up one day saying, we have questions for you because he successfully killed someone or tried to kill someone again. Or, you know, I always worry that that's going to happen because he, I'm sure he hasn't changed. Sociopaths don't change. They can't change who they are. What's your advice for someone going into into a new relationship? Follow your gut. Always, always follow your gut and don't dismiss it. I think we all, especially women, tend to um, dismiss it and think, oh, it's nothing or there's excuses for it. If your gut says something is off, Mm -hmm. you're right. Our gut is our natural defense and um, it's so important that we all follow our gut, not just about relationships, but about whatever it is. It might be a neighbor that makes us uncomfortable. Protect, protect your children from people you're dating. You know, don't let everybody in your life. Um, our children de- deserve our protection. We deserve to protect ourselves. Uh-huh. Really follow your gut. It doesn't matter who it is, romantic or otherwise. For someone who might be in a situation similar to yours, how can they work their way out of it? Ooh, um, I would never say I'm an expert. What I would right. say is check resources online. Mm-hmm. All the domestic violence um, websites have a quick, I don't, it's probably called something else, but it's like a quick exit where it won't mm-hmm. leave any history. Just mm-hmm. read up. See what domestic violence looks like when it doesn't mean broken bones. It means being possessive, being jealous, um, dangerous behavior, threats, things like that. Read up on how you leave. When someone's about to leave or break up is when it's most dangerous. Use extreme caution. Don't make announcements. You know, don't let someone know what you're planning to do. Do it, you know, are we entitled to say what we're planning to do or are we entitled to date someone else? Yes, but leave, keep it quiet. Just don't trust it. You never know who's going to cross that line. I would have never guessed, no matter how miserable we were, that we, that we would have ended up there. 
Now you said you didn't, you never expected, you know, to be write to have written a book like this. How hard was it to sit down and write about this stuff? You know, it was harder than I realized. Um, I waited until the kids were adults and they approved the telling of the story because I worry about them most, how they, how it would make them feel and all of that. And um, it was friends who really encouraged me to tell the story. You know, people mm-hmm. said that story has to be told. Other people need to hear it as a cautionary tale. And um, it was hard. And I tried writing it without a professional co-writer. When I ended up getting my professional co-writer, I kept writing it more like a police story, a police, mm-hmm. you know, report. And that's not, doesn't make very interesting reading. So when I um, uh, met Gary and we decided to work together, he pulled the emotion out of situations. And I never, you know, I was just used to telling it when I tell the story and I left some of the emotion out. I just like a police story or a police report. And he said, how did that make you feel? What did you feel like then? And I never really dug deep into the emotions. I was just going through day-to-day life of trying to raise the kids. And I really never looked deeply at how it impacted me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was it therapeutic though? I mean, did you get the stuff it, down on paper? You know, a lot of people ask that and it has never been therapeutic to tell the story in writing or verbally. It has never helped me, but nor does it make me feel worse. It just doesn't, it's not therapeutic at all. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. And, um, there's just, it's, it's wrought with so many layers of emotion that it never felt good to put it on paper, but I did it because I hope that it will save someone. Just one person will use it as a, you know, I remember hearing that crazy story and, um, you know, put themselves first, protect themselves and children involved, pets, um, you know, and make a safe exit plan. Don't assume that, oh, so-and-so would never hurt me. I I just, I never look at it like that anymore. Uh Uh I want to thank you for coming on. What's next for you? Oh gosh, just working, you know, and doing things. I, Gary and I are working on a second project, which I'm so glad it's nothing to do with me nothing to do with um, my children, but someone in the family um, was involved in a historical event and it's, we're excited about it. So, um, but other than that, I just continue to work towards retirement like the rest of us and enjoying my children, enjoying my grandchildren and living life. So. Thank you so much for coming on and telling your story. I, I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All you right. Know, your, your story is so inspirational, you know, the, surviving that. And yeah. I appreciate it. All right. Well, you have a great rest of your evening. And again, thank you so much. And I will do a, uh, you do have a website, right? I do. I do have a website and the book, the book can be purchased wherever people purchase books. It's in audio, it's in, in um, print mm-hmm. and, um, Yeah, I appreciate it. And also reviews are really important. Reviews, when you were talking about um, something, the FYP, you know, the reviews cause algorithms to move things to the top. It really makes a difference. Right, Right. absolutely, absolutely. All right, well, thank you very much. And I I will tease your website and more of the book at the end here, so. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Charlotte. Well, thank you. And sorry for the technical glitches. No problem. It happens. Must be a big news day in this neighborhood. All right. (laughs) Bye-bye. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Wow. That's all I can say is wow. You know, I've heard so many stories like hers over the years, and it's just, it's it's heartbreaking. Okay. Tomorrow, we're shifting back to the paranormal. Media, of course, it's Friday, so that's Medium Nasty Mats Friday. And we're going to be talking about the holidays and our loved ones. Do they come visit us during the holidays? 
In addition to that, because it's kind of linked in there, and because of the time of year it is, we're going to be talking about Dia de los Muertos as well. So uh, that's tomorrow, 6.30 p.m. Pacific, usual time. But uh, I want to thank everybody for, for coming in tonight. I know we had some tech, tech glitches going on. That's how my whole day was. It was one big one big day of Murphy's Law, and it did not surprise me one bit when things started going wrong with the show because my stuff always comes in big lumps. So hopefully tomorrow will be a better day, okay? But I want to thank you all for, for joining me, and I hope you got as much out of this story as I did because it's, it's, it's a very, very uh, touching story and, and, you know, with a lesson there about, keep, you know, keep an eye on things around you, right? All right, so I'll give you her contact information and where you know the book and where to get it and all that, and then I'll leave you guys alone. Here we go. Her website is Monique Faison Ross, M-O-N-I-Q-U-E-F-A-I-S-O-N-Ross.com. And the book is Plain Dead. And of course, you can get, like she says, anywhere, but Amazon you know, is the primary place there to get, to get books. Okay, guys, barring any un unfortunate internet glitches, if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five people. We are equal opportunity here at California Hunts Radio. Like I said, just looking to get the word out about the show and get our viewership up, get our subscriptions going and all that good stuff. I appreciate each and every one of you, and I will see you tomorrow, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Have a great rest of your evening.